0: If you're a leader or an aspiring leader in the business of lifelong learning, you're in the right place. I'm Salisa Steele.
1: And I'm Jeff Cobb. And this is the Leading Learning Podcast.
0: Welcome to episode 164 of the Leading Learning Podcast. This time around, we talk with Michelle Weiss about the future of work and the future of learning. Michelle is Senior Vice President for Workforce Strategies at Strada Education Network and the Chief Innovation Officer for the Strata Institute for the Future of Work. In these roles, she is deeply immersed in how work and learning are changing, and she has insights to offer that we know listeners are going to find valuable. Before we turn to the conversation with Michelle, we have a couple of messages that we want to share with you.
1: First, we want to encourage you to connect with us and tell us your thoughts about the show, whether that means comments on a specific episode or ways in which we can better serve you with the content that we share on the podcast. And there are a number of ways you can do that, and we'll highlight three here. First, we publish show notes for every episode, and there's a place to submit comments at the bottom of every show notes page. You can always get to the show notes page for a particular episode by adding slash episode number after leadinglearning.com. So for example, the show notes address for this episode is leadinglearning.com slash episode 164.
0: You can also find leading learning on Facebook at facebook.com slash leading lifelong learning. You can comment there or message us, and if you like the page, you'll receive valuable content from us on an ongoing basis.
1: And then last, but certainly not least, you can just send us a good old-fashioned email at tagoras.com. Whichever method you choose, we really would like to hear from you.
0: Yes, we would indeed like to hear from you, so please let us know your thoughts at any time. In the meantime, we want to let you know about our sponsor for this
1: episode. And that sponsor is Learning Technology Design, or LTD, our annual virtual conference designed specifically for those who work in the business of lifelong learning, continuing education, and professional development. This will be our fourth time offering LTD, and we know from all the feedback we've received that past attendees have found it a unique and highly valuable experience. Registration is open now at ltd.tagoras.com. And we're also offering the opportunity to be a patron for the event, an option that may be of interest to companies that serve learning businesses. You can find out about that by going to slash patron. And we'd like to spotlight some of our current patrons, including 360 Factor, Authentic Learning Labs, Avalar, Digitel, Event Guard, Review My LMS, and Web Courseworks.
0: We've highlighted these patrons on the LTD website, and we'll also include links to them in the show notes. Definitely do take time to find out more about these organizations. These companies have demonstrated their commitment to learning businesses by becoming patrons of LTD, and so we encourage you to support them. Now, let's get to that interview with Michelle Weiss.
1: Yeah, definitely. This was a, this was a brief interview, um, but, um, but packed full of... Uh, valuable perspectives from Michelle. I became familiar with the the Strata Education Network where Michelle works uh, a while back when I saw that they had launched the Strata Institute for the Future of Work and of course we've we've discussed the future of work here before. Um, I've had Heather McGowan on the show. We'll make sure we link to that episode and and of course we believe that the future of work and the future of learning are intimately tied, uh, which uh, certainly is a perspective that that Strata has and that Michelle uh, has um, and then. As it happened, uh, you know, it took a while to get the the, the podcast lined up. Um, but right before we uh, did the interview with Michelle Strata, launched a new report called Robot Ready human plus skills for the future of work. Um, And again, that whole idea of, you know, automation, robots, artificial intelligence, everything that's going to disrupt work, which of course is simultaneously going to disrupt uh, learning and present new opportunities for learning. um, You know, that's covered in in this uh, report. And I had the opportunity, obviously, to discuss that with Michelle. And you know, Michelle is just deeply immersed in the whole world of work and learning. Um, she's kind of the the, the the face, I guess, of the, uh, the Strata Institute for the Future of Work. So there's some great videos with her online, and we'll make sure that we highlight some of those as well. But, um, you know, she's just got great insights and is very articulate about the, the challenges and the opportunities that we are facing. And I think this is a, it's just, it's a, it's a must, uh, an area where listeners must build knowledge. And I think this is a must listen episode.
0: Well, it sounds great and definitely sounds like the kind of of topics that I'm sure listeners are interested in and concerned about in terms of what it actually means for their learning business. So without further ado, let's roll that conversation with Michelle Wise.
1: Hello out there, I'm Jeff Cobb. This is the Leading Learning Podcast, and today I'm talking with Michelle Weiss. Michelle is Senior Vice President Workforce Strategies for Strata Education Network and Chief Innovation Officer at the Strata Institute for the Future of Work. Her commentaries and research have been featured in such well-known publications as The Economist, The Wall Street Journal, and the Harvard Business Review, just to name a few, and her book, Higher Education, and that's Higher H-I-R-E, Mastery. Modularization and the Workforce Revolution, co-authored with Clayton Christensen, describes the disruptive potential of online competency-based education aligned to workforce needs. The bottom line is that when it comes to disruption in education and the future of work, there are few people who know more about it at this point than our guest, Michelle Weiss. So Michelle, welcome to the Leading Learning Podcast.
2: Thanks so much, Jeff. It's great to be here.
1: Well, I just gave a little bit of your background in that introduction, but um I'm sure the listeners would love to hear more. Can you say a little bit more about the nature of your work? Um, you know, what you do with the Strata Education Network, and then also at the the Strata Institute?
2: Sure. So um they're they're very much tied together. The idea is that um the Strata Institute for the Future of Work. Uh, is the research and development lab for Strata Education Network as a whole. And the network is a public nonprofit charity that invests in higher education and education to employment pathways. And we do so with a multitude of tools. Uh, we do it through philanthropy. We do it through direct and indirect investments. We do it through our laboratory of solutions with our affiliates. We own a lot of excellent companies like Road Trip Nation, MZ, Kale, Inside Track, College Confidential. And uh, we also do it through a lot of research and insights work and, and national engagement work. And so the idea is that in order to be even more strategic with these investments, we want to get smarter about what all the forecasts might mean about the future of work. And so all of the reports and the research that we generate is meant to inform and guide all the different kinds of solutions that we have within strata to deploy
1: and i know there are definitely a lot of people out there uh talking about the the future of work the the need to bridge the the college to work gap uh those sorts of topics um you know i think there's there's a a lot of probably confusion and certainly a lot of worry out there right now, so, you know, having you make sense of that and contribute your research is certainly valuable, and I know one of the areas that you've recently released a report on is basically uh, robotics, or, the, you know, the, the, the coming of uh, robotics uh, into the, the workforce, so Robot Ready is the, the, the name of that report. Can you, can you highlight uh, some of the most important findings from, from that?
2: Sure. I think the common misperception is that the robots are coming and they're coming for our jobs. The The truth is the robots are already here right. and we actually live with them on a day-to-day basis. And we kind of forget how seamless our lives are with a lot of the automation that we have. But it is true that there will be more and more automation uh, becoming a part of our everyday lives. And so what does that then mean for our work, our identities and how we think about work and the the way in which the nature of work is changing. So this this report, Robot Ready, is trying to understand what sorts of skills do we need in order to thrive in that robo-human future. And what we come up with is there's no longer this distinction between hard and soft skills. Uh, I think that's kind of a false dichotomy that we put in front of folks, especially when we kind of uphold like the option of a liberal arts training or career technical education or vocational training. That's just kind of a false choice. The, the truth is that for everyone, the answer will be in a both and kind of um, Mindset We have to actually approach everything with this idea that it'll be human plus technical skills. So, what we mean by human skills are the things that are going to help us be more resilient and more resistant to automation, the things that are uniquely human about us, where we can anticipate that computers will not necessarily be able to compete with us, you know, when it comes to emotional intelligence and critical thinking and values and ethical judgment, those sorts of things. And then we will also, because we are going to be faced with more and more technology over our working lives, we are going to have to figure out how we make sure we remain relevant in the workforce and that we can coordinate really well with the robots in the future and have the right sorts of technical skills that make us marketable and relevant in that future of work.
1: And so, what does that mean, practically speaking? Then, for you know the the institutions, the system that's serving learners at, at this point, and I'm thinking primarily of you know adult learners, ones that are maybe just entering the workforce, but also ones that have been out there for a while. Um, what 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 needs to change in how these people are being served?
2: Yeah. So it's an interesting um, if you if you if we actually think about the perspective of adult learners it can either go both ways where there may be folks who are in jobs where perhaps if they had just gone into a pure kind of technical training learning experience they may now be seeing that some of their skills are becoming obsolete and that they may need to upskill in this broader way where they're developing some more of those human skills so that they can kind of move up the management chain in a way. Whereas for others who maybe started off with a liberal arts background as more of a generalist might be seeing the need to advance their careers by upskilling and finding some sort of targeted solution around learning how to do these specific kinds of skills that are critical to the domain that they're in, or if they're trying to maybe transition from one pathway to another, for instance, if they are thinking about moving from human resources more into public relations, there are certain ways in which they're going to have to figure out how to transfer some of their broad skills into a different domain and then also access some of those more technical skill sets, you know, around, say, strategic planning or, um Storytelling or brand management or search engine optimization, so that they can be more understandable to a future employer and more useful on day one when they start their new job
1: mm. and and what's your sense and maybe this is something that uh, strata has actually gauged in some sort of formal way of how aware the average person is of of this change that's taking place i you know i mean i get the sense that employers are certainly aware of it they they have their needs you know that they that they need to have met basically and there's certainly a lot of discussion i think in in higher education that i've seen but i mean let's take for example just the 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 person who's coming out of college right now completing that four-year degree do you feel like that person is aware and is and is acting um, in a significantly different way than than they might have in the past
2: I would say that probably the vast majority of learners don't yet quite know how to translate their skills into the language of the workforce. I think what we're seeing, especially from younger learners, you know, more on the millennial side is that they're highly averse to debt. um, Mm. But they're not necessarily making that connection about how part of the disconnect between education and employment or education and that first good job is the fact that we are not maybe doing the greatest job of enabling learners to translate what they are learning you know in their educational programs into the same language of the workforce that's what's kind of striking about the major disconnect we have right now is that we have two very very different taxonomies of skills and competencies that do not speak to one another. Mm. And so one of the exciting things about where we are today, and this is what our report goes into, is that we now have access to more real-time labor market information through labor market analytics companies like MZ, And you can actually now see the trajectories and have better optics into what people who have majored in these different majors have ended up doing what those outcomes are in the labor market and how they're actually deploying those skills in the labor market. We haven't been able to do that before. We've been only kind of been able to talk about general return on investment, you know, like how much you might be earning at a certain point in time where you can just kind of say, like, don't worry, it'll pay off. Um, That's not really um, comforting to folks who might be, you know, again, kind of very – scared of taking on the burden of debt. Um, but now we can, now we can illuminate this very opaque market and actually show those career trajectories and say like, these are some of the most promising pathways for graduates in these fields and be able to say like, this is what you could expect to make in a role like this. And here are the kinds of skills that you will need to be able to demonstrate and show mastery of at this certain level. So that's, that's a new phase that we're in. And I, and so that's where I think a lot of different institutions and employers too need to be leveraging this kind of data to be able to, again, bring those different taxonomies together and make sense and connect. Um, We call it, you know, creating like a modern day Rosetta stone that can help decode this intersection between post-secondary education and the workforce. Because if we don't do this right now, it's going to be a problem, especially as we think about lifelong learning in the future. There's just, it's not going to, this isn't just going to be kind of a one and done experience of education on the front end. And then you'd launch into your career. We're going to have to kind of come back to learning over and over again throughout our working lives. And if we don't figure this out now, there's just going to be too much inefficiency in this arena of lifelong learning.
1: Right. And and that's, that's fantastic that we're getting, that level of data. Now I'm thinking back, you know, I would have, I would have loved to have known back in the day when I was, you know, working on my English major, where, where that was going to land me, uh, eventually, uh, might've made some different choices. I don't know, but, um, but to, to stick with, um, that sort of, you know, education to work, uh, uh, level of, of career for just a moment. I know you've also talked about basically people being, Underemployed, you know, so, so coming out of college, getting into the workforce, perhaps in ways that really aren't, you know, taking advantage of the, the, the talent that, that people have, and that that actually has longer term consequences. Can you, can you speak to that uh, for, for just a moment?
2: Yeah, our uh, first report that we came out with talks about this notion of underemployment, which we define as when you're in a job that isn't actually leveraging the bachelor's degree that a student may have or a graduate may have. And I think this there's um, this tendency for us to think about newly minted graduates. <clears throat> Sorry, there's a tendency for us to think about newly minted graduates who might be working and you know, a retail job, uh, you know, selling coffee or selling clothes, um, as that's just sort of uh, affecting a small minority of students. And it's a very short term problem. But what we actually did with the data is look at 4 million unique resumes over a long period of time over 10 years. And we were able to see that that first job mattered a whole lot. Mm -hmm. Over actually approximately 43% of that sample started off underemployed in their first job and remained underemployed. They were more likely to remain underemployed five years out. In fact, if they started out underemployed in their first job, they were five times more likely to be underemployed five years out. And 75% of that group actually persistently kind of stayed in that rut of underemployment 10 years out. So it's not a short-term problem, if you, and it's a, it's a huge issue when it comes to financial implications as well, right? Because they're earning, on average, about $10,000 less per year. So what was fascinating is that we found out that it wasn't a short-term problem. It was a permanent detour that actually also affected women uh, disproportionately than men. Mm. So it was really, really concerning. And that also connects to um, this report that we did on... Um, this robot readiness, but where, where we were looking at the trajectories of liberal arts grads in particular, because we actually saw that over the course of, a th- of, of their three jobs, first three jobs, liberal arts grads were uniquely mobile in the fact that 70% of them moved from their first job into their second job. And many of them, by the time that they were in their third jobs, were actually moving out of underemployment into high skill, high wage and high demand jobs. So they were ultimately kind of escaping that rut of underemployment. But the problem is so many of them were doing this by stumbling in the dark. They didn't have great navigation. And so that's the thing we really have to work on.
1: Right, right. I think you've just described my career trajectory, to be honest. (laughs) uh, Well, and that may be a good um, doorway into talking about people who are later on in, in their career in I mean, for me, one of the most worrisome things about the, the, the path that we seem to be on right now is that, you know, there's so many people who are already out there in the workforce. They, a lot of them aren't really thinking about, you know, going back to school or, or necessarily pursuing, you know, any sort of formal uh, education at this point. And they may really get caught out, um, you know, with what's going on. How, how, do, we, how do we reach those people, um, and I don't even know how we define that group, really. But uh, how do we make people more aware and, and and get them to start taking the steps that are going to make it possible for them to, to thrive in this new world of work?
2: It's a, it's a really good question because um, we've actually been interviewing over the last few years with Gallup um, 350 Americans every single day. So we have a repository of um, consumer insights about education uh, that – it totals i think 282,000 interviews so wow. far. And out of that population, we have a lot of folks who have some college and no degree. And what's interesting is if you actually dig down into the data there, a huge percentage, almost half of the uh, half of the folks in that group have actually no intention of coming back to education, even though they know it could potentially help advance their careers and lead them into more productive and meaningful lives, potentially, they they still have no intention of coming back. Mm. And that's fascinating, right? Because clearly something has gone wrong and it's sort of, you know, they tried it, they have no interest. But then even for those who've completed, there are many who just sort of think it was a one and done experience. And so we're all going to have to sort of shift our mindsets into this idea that we're going to have to return to learning over and over again. Uh, just because there's just the fact that our our work lives are going to change and become more turbulent, and there's also the p- potential that with medical advancements our lives might extend to longer lifespans, and right. so we may have longer, more turbulent work lives. And so, in order to sort of um, adapt and shift with the changing times and the changing needs of the economy, we're going to have to have that very different mindset. So that's 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 a big big shift. But what's interesting is, you know, research actually already already shows us that. Um, I think it was a Pew survey that showed that most Americans, close to eighty seven percent, know that they will have to reskill or upskill in some way. The challenge is that they don't know where to go for mm. some of that learning, right? And our system isn't set up in that way.
1: And that that be a good area to explore uh, quickly is. You know, my perception is that Strata is very focused on higher education, traditional higher education institutions. I mean, Most of our listeners are working in that kind of trade and professional association world, so continuing education, professional development that comes out of those organizations. How, how do you see the, the role of those types of organizations in just addressing all of the, all of the challenges that are presented by the future of work?
2: Yeah. So at Strata, we are not just focused on traditional institutions of higher education. We are very much kind of agnostic to who the learning provider is. Uh, What we do care about is how these pathways connect learners more Mm -hmm. directly to completion and to purpose and to good lives. Um, So we do, uh, we are highly interested in Um, alternative learning providers, the way in which the workforce is also going to play a role in this in the future. Um, So we, you know, and that's one of the reasons why we invest in a lot of startups and entrepreneurs working in this space. Um, Pretty much all our existing systems today are going to have to play a role in this learning ecosystem of the future. Right now, we just don't have the infrastructure set up to enable adult learners to move seamlessly in and out of learning and work. So whatever trade associations or membership associations or workforce development boards or other kinds of um, learning providers out there can do to facilitate those more seamless transitions, that is... That is the key because that's the pain point that we are in today. We do not offer many on or off ramps in and out of learning and work. And I think employers are going to have to play a huge role in reimagining the role of something like on-the-job training, right? Right now, we think about, about it more in terms of compliance. And if we think about this need to skill up an existing workforce and not always be able to kind of rely on recruiting externally the talent that we need, we have to figure out how are we going to enable our working learners to be able to develop these skills, not on top of everything that they do, but as part of the work that they are currently doing?
1: Right, right. And I know um, your time is a little short for our talk today, but uh, I did want to ask one last question that really relates to how you yourself uh, go about meeting this challenge. And we ask everybody on the show this, um, and it's, what, what's one of the, the most powerful learning experiences, experiences that you personally have been involved in as an adult since finishing your own formal education?
2: Yeah, I love that question. Um, I actually recently, um, I do a lot of work with startups and, um, looking at, uh, direct investments in education technology groups. And I can look at these opportunities from, the vantage point of being in higher education and understanding the business model of higher education. But what I didn't have was training on the business side of how to read a term sheet and sort of Mm. think about, um, the valuation of a company. And I didn't want to go get an MBA just to be able to do that. I already have enough education and the thought of, Investing that much money just to you know, learn about this very specific area seemed sort of outlandish. and um and so I ended up taking a boot camp that was all about seed investments and angel investing. And it was a two day immersive Mm-mm. boot camp experience where I learned everything I needed to know about this specific area of interest. And I didn't have to go get an MBA. I didn't have to sink hundreds of thousands of dollars. Yeah. What is fascinating, though, is that it was not covered by my traditional tuition reimbursement program huh. through my work because it's not regionally accredited. Accredited, And that's what a lot of these kind of emergent programs are running into. They're not, even though they're hugely interesting and necessary, they're not fitting in under traditional TR programs. And so that's something else that we'll have to kind of figure out in terms of policy for the futures, how do we make sure we're helping Americans advance in their working lives by making sure they're getting the kind of on-demand training that they need, but also being able to finance those um, with traditional mechanisms?
1: Right, right. Yeah, that's a critical question. And, and and more and more people are going down you know, just the pathway that, that you described there. I've done that sort of thing myself. So th- thanks for sharing that. Um, thanks for being on the show today. If listeners want to know more about you, uh, more about Strata, where should they go?
2: So they should go to www.strataeducation.org institute.
1: Great. And I do highly recommend that listeners do that. Uh, a lot of great uh, information there. You can download the, the robot ready report, which I highly recommend. Um, so again, Michelle, thanks so much for being on the Leading Learning Podcast.
2: Thanks so much for your time, Jeff.
0: That wraps up our interview with Michelle Weiss. To get show notes for this episode, go to leadinglearning.com slash episode
1: 164. When you check out the show notes, you'll also see various options for subscribing to the podcast. If you're getting value out of what you hear, we would be truly grateful if you would subscribe as it helps us get some data on the impact of what we're doing.
0: We'd also be grateful if you would take a minute to give us a rating on iTunes. You can go to leadinglearning.com slash iTunes and that will put you in the right place. Jeff and I personally appreciate your rating and review, but even more importantly, reviews and ratings play a really important role in helping the leading learning podcast show up when people are searching for the types of topics we cover in the show.
1: And we'd be grateful if you check out our sponsor for this episode, Learning Technology Design, or LTD, at ltd.tagoras.com. Again, this is our annual virtual conference, and if you, like most of our Leading Learning listeners, work in the business of lifelong learning, continuing education, and professional development, this is an event you do not want to miss.
0: And finally, consider telling others about the podcast. You can send out a pre-populated tweet by going to leadinglearning.com slash share. You can also like us on Facebook at facebook.com slash leading lifelong learning and you can share us with others there on facebook however you do it please do help to spread the good word about leading learning
1: thanks again and we'll see you next time on the leading learning podcast